Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Breda Pest Management, the official pest control of UGA Athletics. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. As we've been saying, it has been quite a time to be a dog. Georgia has won the national championship. Georgia has dominated the NFL draft. And it's just been kind of fun to bask in all of that. Uh, And yet, at a certain point in time, you do have to turn page. At a certain point in time, you do have to kind of wonder what's next for UGA. One of the things we talked about on yesterday's show was if you want to be back in contention for the national championship again in 2022, much the same way we said this a lot leading into 2021. Some of you are still nice enough to bring this up to me on social media. We said this a lot last year that you've got to cultivate that elite level of draft talent. You have to have that about half dozen or so guys that can be first round picks either in the upcoming year or some future year if you want to be in the national championship conversation. And if you have less than that, then you are less than as a team. You are probably not a true national championship contender if you can't look on your roster, if you can't look on your field and see six guys at least who have the look of a future first round draft pick in the NFL. You just probably don't have what it takes to win the national championship. Now, this past year for Georgia, they had five, all of them on defense. What we've said is, is that, well, if you look ahead to 2022, the makeup of this is probably a little bit different. We had the anonymous coach quoted by ESPN from the SEC who says when he looks at the Georgia defense next season, he sees maybe three or four pros. It may be a little less than the five and six that you may have seen from this uh, past year's team, first-round type players. Uh, but Georgia was still amongst the most, uh, probably the most talented defense in the uh, country, probably the you know, the most, the largest collection of high-end talent there and all of that. And we said yesterday, okay, well, that means, you know, Jalen Carter is the safest, sure thing bet on that. Keely Ringo probably next. Maybe you get to Nolan Smith after that. But one way or another, that if you're going to have like a half dozen or so first round type guys on next year's team that that some of that's going to need to be offensively for Georgia next season. That's where you have to start looking for some of those candidates. And we said yesterday that it becomes easy to identify a couple of offensive linemen for whom that could be true. Broderick Jones may be the easiest of all. Warren McClendon after that because of what he's been doing. You know, Cedric Von Prahn as part of that conversation after that. But then at that point in time, you also start bringing some of the playmakers into this discussion. Now, Brock Bowers next year won't be draft eligible, but eventually the assumption is obviously he'll be a first round pick just given the level of success that he enjoyed as a freshman. But for next year's team, who else could that be? We talked a little bit yesterday about Ari Gilbert. And when Connor Riley was a guest on our show yesterday, we talked about some of the other wide receivers who might emerge there in that category. But if George is going to be from a talent perspective on par with traditional recent national champions then then some of the elite talent that's going to emerge in 2022 it just sort of seems destined that some of that's going to be on the offensive side now i realize that when we say that it kind of opens up a a little bit of a, a hot topic among georgia fans because even as georgia was on its way towards winning the national championship this past season there's an element of some uga fans and listen, why this is true, I guess, is open for debate. But there's an element of some UGA fans who are kind of left to wonder, OK, well, it's great that Georgia's dominated on defense, but when are they going to dominate on offense? When are they going to open up that part of the uh, success of the program? When is Georgia going to be as good defensively as it is offensively? Now, part of the frustration for me on that topic is, is that I think it ignores the fact that statistically Georgia was pretty dominant offensively last year, averaged about 40 points per game uh, for the season. There are very few instances last season where the uh, Georgia offense didn't show up and give Georgia everything it needed to win the game that was playing. This was a very good year. I would say even great year for Georgia offensively a year ago. But admittedly, the Georgia offense did lag behind the defense a bit. And admittedly, while Georgia was probably one of the five best offenses in college football last season, there were a couple of teams that were better. And in the smart era, there have been a couple of teams each year that have been more explosive than Georgia offensively. So in a lot of ways... This topic about the Georgia offense kind of represents the final frontier for Kirby Smart. Smart's shown you he can win a national championship at Georgia. I believe he'll be in line for more in the future. He's shown you that he can put 15 guys in the NFL draft and five of the guys in the uh, first round. He's shown you he can do that. But the final frontier for Georgia is to 
produce the same level of draft success and the same level of offensive success to match what this program has consistently done on defense, including last year when it might have been the best defense in modern college football history. It's at least in the discussion for that. Now, to Kirby Smart's credit, he has talked openly about this a lot, that that there are big goals that Georgia has offensively, and there are expectations that Smart has on that side of the ball that are just as lofty as what he expects from his defense, even though Smart's kind of that defensive-minded head coach. That's his background prior to being a head coach. His ambitions on offense are no smaller than they are on defense. In fact, you want to go into the end of the season a year ago and talking about what he wanted to see from the offense, maybe why the offense kind of looked the way that it did at times uh, last year and and talking about the overall playing personality of it. Smart hasn't shied away from talking about this pretty openly. Let me give you an example from late last season as a way of keeping our conversation going right now. I think we've got good players on offense, and uh, I think Monk is doing a tremendous job of using their skill set. Uh, I still don't know if we're as open as we would love to be. We've had injuries at, at wide out. We've had to do it some different ways. I mean, there's not a – I mean, the huge difference in our offense is the production we've been able to have – in terms of explosive plays, use of tight ends who are talented. Let's, let's be honest, insert Brock Bowers and insert Darnell Washington. You've, you've increased the talent level at that position. Uh, we're using the backs. I feel like we've used the backs well uh, before, and um, we've got a good group of wideouts. I think Coach Munkin's done a tremendous job of using our personnel uh, where we may not have, we may not be as big on the offensive line as we've been in the past. But I do think – Playing good offense is important to your success. You can't be uh, one-sided and expect to be successful. So I think that's a very well-worded statement from Smart, and it's candid, it's it's direct, it's you know somewhat blunt. I, I think Smart gives you a pretty good assessment of what Georgia is and maybe what it still wants to be offensively there, and really doesn't shy away from that. I think a different way to phrase basically what Smart says there is. That over the course of the last couple of seasons with with uh, Todd Monk and his offensive coordinator, Georgia has taken big strides forward in each of those years. And now you look at 2022, where I believe Georgia could be in line for another big step forward offensively. And some of the the NFL draft names we're talking about next spring could be playmakers on that Georgia offense because of just the overall capabilities of the UGA offense. But even with that said, Georgia up to this point in time has not yet been what Alabama has been offensively, where you're not only explosive, you're led by an elite top-end type quarterback, what Ohio State typically has been, where you kind of have that elite top-end first-round type quarterback leading an offensive scoring, you know, 42, 45 points per game. Georgia to this point in time has been somewhat less than that. So in a lot of ways, the, the dominant quarterback, the dominant passing attack to match the level of dominance at every other position group is the final frontier at the University of Georgia. So let me say this right now. Now, maybe you agree with this, maybe you don't, but 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 here's where all this is leading for me. As you look ahead to the future, and by future, I don't just mean 2022, I mean the next few years. Based on how Kirby Smart has handled every challenge he's faced thus far at UGA, do you really believe that Georgia will stop short of eventually having this too? I think the safe money is that eventually Georgia will have a quarterback just as good as every other position group on this team. Now, how soon does that happen? I don't know. But given the fact that Georgia has gone out in the span of times that Kirby Smart has been here in 2016 and gone from, you know, what Georgia was before, which is a very good program, to now the national champion and uh, 15 guys drafted. Given the speed with which that Kirby has conquered college football, this final frontier that he's yet to conquer, I think the safe money is that he'll eventually conquer that too. And if you're paying attention to what's happening at UGA, I mean, first of all, I saw this the other day, Tuscaloosa News had a story on this. That So if you want to go back to 2017, that's Smart's second year. Georgia came just short of winning the national championship. But do you realize that the Alabama team that beat Georgia that year just set a record over the course of the weekend for the most players ever drafted off one team? Uh, There was a Tuscaloosa news story about that. That's the kind of team it took to prevent Georgia from winning a second national championship in the Kirby Smart era. It speaks to how successful Smart has been as quickly as he has been. And when you've lined up that level of success, one 
right after the other. The last kind of uh, on video I said a moment ago, kind of the final boss of that video game, the last, uh, you know, mountain to climb, the last, you know, uh, foe to vanquish, uh, you know, thing to be conquered, putting together the elite quarterback, putting together the elite top flight offense with it smart described there a moment ago. I think the safe money becomes that uh, Georgia is very likely to do that there as well. Now, it could be that Georgia does that with a quarterback currently on the roster. Obviously, Stetson Bennett you know, comes back with a lot of expectations for him for the upcoming season after what he did a year ago. But there's also plenty of intrigue about some of the younger quarterbacks who eventually will get their chance to show what they're all about there as well. There are no shortage of fans here of this program who believe that Carson Beck could one day be the kind of great quarterback that eventually I believe Kirby Smart will have. Or maybe Brock Vandegrift is that guy. A lot of Georgia fans think he could be. Or maybe Gunnar Stockton uh, could be that guy. A lot of folks think he could be. Or maybe it's a quarterback who's not yet on the roster. Have you considered this for a moment? The more we get into the discussion of the 2023 recruiting class, the more I believe it's starting to seem somewhat apparent that Arch Manning's coming to Georgia. Now, listen, I'm not a recruiting analyst. I don't do, you know, crystal balls, whatever the name of the online predictions are. I, I don't do those. Not sure mine would be worth very much. But I do remember back when Justin Fields was a recruit. And yes, I know that's a little bit of a hot button name still for some Georgia fans. But when Fields was a recruit, I remember when it was that I realized that Fields was coming to Georgia. The moment I realized Fields was coming to Georgia was the moment I looked around and realized he's definitely not going here. 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 At a certain point, there was really nowhere left for him to go but Georgia. It wasn't that Georgia won. It was that everybody else was eliminated. Georgia was the only one left. It's like a battle royal almost. And with the Arch Manning recruitment, I'm starting to kind of feel the same way. Like at one point in time, I thought the, you know, the legacy program Ole Miss might be involved in this recruitment. We don't really see much evidence of that being true at all. National analysts told us not too long ago that new coaches Brian Kelly at LSU or or Billy Napier at Florida, they were going to try to get into the to the Arch Manning recruitment. But if that's ever going to happen, it hasn't really materialized yet. Like we really have been kind of stuck here for a while with what is kind of thought to be the big three in the Manning recruitment. It's Georgia, it's Alabama, it's Texas. Well, have you seen what's going on for those of you that follow the recruiting stuff closely as of late? Alabama right now seems pretty interested in Eli Holstein, uh, another quarterback from the 2023 class. They seem to be paying a lot of attention to him. Holstein seems to be paying a lot of attention back towards the Crimson Tide. Based on that circumstantial evidence, it almost seems like Alabama, I don't want to say waving the white flag of surrender, that'd be making too strong of a statement. But they are certainly looking at a contingency plan pretty closely that does not include Arch Manning. If that's true, it just kind of leaves Georgia and Texas. Well, as many of you have said to me on social media, and I don't think you're wrong about this. If it really is a Georgia versus Texas comparison for Manning, where's he going to go? The school that had 15 players drafted or the school that had zero players drafted? Many of you know the Longhorns didn't have a single player taken in the most recent NFL draft. I don't ask that question rhetorically. I mean that literally. Is Manning going to go to a school that didn't have a single player drafted? I'd suggest not. Uh, I've also told you that for a guy like Manning, for the most part, sidesteps all of the recruiting drama. Texas just has way too much of that. It's just too dramatic of a program, too much of a soap opera uh, in Austin. Oh, you know, week in, week out, seemingly for a guy like Arch Manning. I think it's very easy to imagine that Arch Manning's not going to go to Texas, which pretty much only leaves Georgia there at that point in time. And that, if it ends up being true, uh, only reinforces what I said a moment ago. That for Kirby Smart, who's done everything else, he's won a national championship. He's dominated NFL draft. He's built Georgia into a consistent winner. He has made this a great program. This may even be currently the best program in all of college football. There's really only one more frontier to conquer. It's having a quarterback who's as good as the other players at the other positions. And eventually, I think it's a pretty safe bet that Georgia's going to have that too. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. We're presented by Breda Pest Management. We are happy to have you with us here today. No matter how you get to us, live on video, 10 a.m., Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch. We get going at 945 for our first and 15 on dognation.com and the Dog Nation app. And, of course, we're happy to have you there. Radio as well on Athens Sports Radio 960 Ref Podcast. 
Apple, Spotify. We post the show at theworldfamousdognation.com. It's been so much fun this week to kind of be back in the saddle again after a great Dog Nation cruise. But, man, it's so much fun to be back doing all of this again the way we like doing it. And we really appreciate our friends at Breda Pest Management for making all of this possible. We love Breda Pest Management. They're the official pest control provider of UGA Athletics. It means they're taking care of Sanford Stadium. They're taking care of Foley Field, the equestrian complex. And they are the ones we trust here at Dog Nation there as well. And my encouragement to you is this. If you hear us talking about Breda Pest Management and you're wondering, well, what's, the, what's the story there? Here is the story with Breda Pest Management. If you switch your pest control provider to uh, to Breda Pest Management, you can save money instantly just by making that decision. Right now, we're all thinking about what can we do to put a little extra money in our pocket? What can we do to, to save a few dollars? That's, a, that's as important now as it's probably ever been in my lifetime. Well, making the decision to switch to Breda Pest Management is going to give you money back. You're going to save instantly just by doing that. And I love the folks there, what they do. I love the way they take care of you. Uh, they certainly uh, certainly do that. They're famous uh, for that. Been doing that since 1975. Got 100 you know, plus people kind of handling you on all that kind of stuff. But what matters right now more than anything else is more money in your pocket when you make that decision to trust them with your uh, pest service, with your termites, uh, they're going to do all of that for you. So check them out online. It's a BredaPest.com. That's the website. BredaPest.com. Here's how you spell it. B-R-E-D-A. BredaPest.com. They're going to take care of you. They're going to put money back in your pocket. Trust them the way that Dog Nation does for your pest control services. And they are going to handle you on that. And boy, oh boy, important to save money right now. Breda Pest Management, the official pest control provider of UGA Athletics, helping you do just that. We're going to get Mike Griffith here coming up in a moment. And actually, there's a pretty interesting conversation I want to get into with Mike because I think this is appropriate for this time of year. And I know people kind of sometimes don't love the media, but this is where I think the media serves a really important purpose in, in the world of sports. I think we need to set up real, realistic expectations for Georgia for the upcoming year. Georgia, after all, is the reigning national champion. But a sport like college football, where there are 14 different teams in the SEC with wildly different circumstances surrounding them, there are you know 130 teams to play FBS football. Not everybody defines success the same way. What would be very successful for one program is simply not successful for another. And you know, given what's out there for Georgia, its comparison to other teams nationally, its you know recent track record of success, what does success look like for Georgia? Well, what should UGA fans be happy with? What would be uh, less than that for Georgia? We'll do some of that with Mike Griffith here coming up in just a little bit. Also, we do a golden shoe at the end of every show. Just kind of a fun way to kind of close the show out. It's a way of make fun of Florida a little bit there, too. Today, though, is going to be a little bit different in that based on some of the stuff I'm seeing online, today's golden shoe is actually a little bit of a conversation starter. It's actually creating a little bit of a debate among some Georgia fans. This is kind of silly, but still really fun. Uh, so we'll do that before the show is done today there as well. A very funny golden shoe that also spurs a bit of a debate among dog fans. I'll tell you more about that before we're done on the program there as well. But before any of that, let's go around the doghouse. And speaking of silly, Kirby Smart was on the receiving end of a silly prank yesterday. We don't do a ton of video only stuff around here because out of respect for our radio and podcast audience. But this is a little bit of a video centric type thing. Just for a moment. Smart was at the uh, Chick-fil-A. I think it's called the Chick-fil-A challenge or whatever. It's like a golf tournament with some, you know, key figures, football coaches, things like that as a way of supporting some of the charities connected to the uh, Chick-fil-A kickoff game, which was a part of this year. And obviously the, the peach bowl, which is a national semifinal college ball playoff game, by the way, before we move on, let's not forget that, that this year, Georgia's got something to play for that, uh, it always does. But in terms of the college football playoff, a chance to play well enough to give itself what essentially counts as a home game for the college football playoff, playing potentially in Atlanta as the one seed if it could get there. That's a pretty big mission potentially on tap for UGA, but that's also a different con uh, conversation, maybe a different day. But they have a golf tournament each and every year. It's always a, like Reynolds Plantation, uh, you know, Reynolds uh, uh, Golf Complex there a little bit. And I guess there's a prank they kind of do each and every year where somebody ends up hitting kind of a trick golf ball and the golf ball kind of explodes. Yesterday, Kirby Smart was the example of that. If you're watching on video, I'll show this to you for a moment. And, you know, if, if you're not, I'll, I'll put a link to this later on. The, the, the whole point here is, this, you know, maybe kind of a little bit of a corny prank or whatever else. But <laughs> the fact that, 
I think deep down, we probably know that Kirby Smart only likes this kind of stuff, only half so much, right? I mean, you know, I think Smart is good at kind of relaxing and enjoying himself on the golf course this time of year a little bit. He lets his hair down as much as he's ever going to. But there's still an element of, you know, knowing he's being videoed, knowing he has to kind of cooperate with stuff like this, that <laughs> I'm sure this is probably the last place that Kirby Smart wishes that he could be. But uh, swing doesn't look too bad. Uh, honestly, it actually looks pretty good for Kirby Smart right there. So always happy to see him settling in and enjoying himself in the golf course there and some kind of funny stuff from the Chick-fil-A folks uh, a little bit yesterday on that there as well. Obviously, all of that going to raise money for a great cause. We love the way that golf supports the uh, charitable endeavors. Uh, both for college ball and everything else. And certainly that's an example of that there, too. So uh, good stuff from Kirby yesterday on that. Something else we're going to get into before the show is done today. There is a lot of, and we told you, related to the Jordan Addison thing from Pitt and the stuff that's been going on at Miami, there is a little bit of a shift, I believe, in the mood around transfer portal and name, image, and likeness. I told you that earlier this week, and maybe more evidence of that today based on what's been reported, of course, the last 24 hours. Now, can anything be done about it? That's a fair question, but are people wishing they could do something about it? Seems pretty obvious that's the case. So we'll do that before we are done on the program. But for now, aftermath of a historic draft for UGA and what comes next, let's talk to our good friend Mike Griffith here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Breda Pest Management. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. It was fun being on board the Independence of the Seas with Mike Griffith last week, and it's great to be with him here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Breda Pest Management today. Uh, Mike, we watched the first round together on Thursday. You covered the rest of the draft throughout the weekend. It's obviously an event that you really enjoy, I think. Um, you know, there's a thousand different ways you can chop this up. Let me just kind of go big picture to begin. What what was your original takeaway or just kind of initial thought on such a prolific haul for the dogs there? Yeah, that's a great way of putting it. You know, it was it was, it was a wild moment. I mean, seeing the fifth guy in the first round go off the board was was a wow moment, and and you just felt really good for those guys that had worked so hard, and you were so happy that the seniors who came back, you know, Jordan and Kobe, uh, Quay, you, you were glad to see the payoff, right? And, and good to see Trayvon Walker go number one. I mean, that's a, another feather in Kirby Smart's cap, and, you know, as I've said, you know, to me, I, you know, some people will debate this, I know, but I, I think this NFL draft was really big for Kirby, even bigger than the national championship when it comes to recruiting, um, because kids come to school, let's face it, they want to major in football. They want to be picked. And not only do you produce a record draft, Brandon, but with, you know, Trayvon going number one, it just sends the message like, hey, you don't need to be holding up an individual award. You don't need to be a all first team, all SEC. You don't need to have 20 sacks. You just need to do your job and buy in. And NFL teams will notice. Well, what I've said about this, Mike, is obviously what you just described is good for Georgia. But I also think as someone who is admittedly a college football fanatic, that this is good for college football there as well, because and I'm not quite so sure why this is true. But the correlation between pro success and team success in college just exists for the sport of football in a way that it doesn't for, like, say, college basketball, where Kentucky has elite NBA prospects each and every year, but they really haven't won anything of note in a good number of years. Mm-hmm. That for some reason, I don't know why this is, but having a bunch of pros on your team at the college basketball level doesn't equate to team success the way that it does in college football. That the cool thing about college football, whether it be Georgia or Alabama or Ohio State or anywhere else, is you don't have to ask a player, hey, do you want to play on NFL Sundays or you want to give your all to your college team? You don't have to ask them to make that choice. Working to be the best pro prospect you can be also helps your team as well. And if you've got enough of those future NFL stars who are budding and who are emerging, then the team is going to win. In fact, if you don't have those guys, you don't have enough talent to even get through the door there on that. It's kind of a cool correlation that exists in college football that, for whatever reason, just doesn't really exist in college basketball. Yeah, I think maybe I'd point to the one-and-done deal with basketball. Maybe part of the reason why is, you know, these kids aren't really in a program that long. 
Um, yeah, I think there is something to be said, though, you know, for the esprit de corps and the, the locker room, the intangibles, right? And I think football is a lot more of a developmental game, you know, and it's obviously more of a team sport. I mean, basketball is a lot of one-on-one, and um, I don't want to say the players aren't skilled, but, you know, you can you can practice basketball on your own. Uh, you know, football, you got to work with other guys. It's very much a team sport, and as we've seen Georgia the last few years with their elite defense, um, everybody has to do their job. Right. Everybody has to have that gap integrity. I know you like that term, Brent. Everybody's <laughs> got to have that gap integrity. <laughs> so, and, and who's able to do that? Who's able to be assignment cell, right? And, and who's able to, you know, be properly. I mean, there's a lot to it. And, you know, it's kind of cool hearing the Eagles fans getting excited to have Jordan and Nicobe because they, they recognize that they, they really have the two leaders off the defense. And, they're already looking to these guys for leadership. You don't often hear teams say, oh, we're going to get some leadership out of these. These guys are rookies, and yet they're going to be looked upon as guys that are going to be expected to go in there and help galvanize uh, what I believe will be a rapidly improved Eagles defense. So is there a – you mentioned the Eagles guys there, obviously N'Kobe, who went later than some folks thought he would, Jordan Davis uh, in the first round. Is, is there a Georgia player where you really like his fit with the NFL team that took him? Is there somebody that you think – uh, is 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 set up well for success based on who he was drafted by. Yeah, I'm really excited for Lewis Seen. Okay. I, I, I really, you know, I really fell in love with Lewis even more at the combine. Just hearing Lewis talk, and and he talked about pressure, Brandon. And I guess and this is part of the Kirby Smart mindset. Um, but I thought Lewis articulated it really well. He said, you know, a lot of people look at pressure as a negative. He said, I see it as a positive. He said, I look forward to it. I, I'm pr- because I know I'm prepared for it. And he said, all pressure is, is it means somebody expects that you're going to do it. And he likes that feeling. Um, you know, this is a great story. I mean, this is a kid who immigrated from Haiti to Florida and then lived up in Massachusetts and Boston for years and then loved football so much he moved to Texas to finish his career so he could be recruited. Comes to Georgia, gets pressed into action in that final uh, bowl game where he's a little undersized. The next year he shows up 15 pounds heavier. Um, one of the more devastating, and it was a clean hit on Kyle Pitts. Pitts dug into it. Um, if you go back and watch it, but just, he, he hits like a train, um, and yet he's cerebral enough to be great in coverage. Um, he's got a daughter that he plays for. Um, just like everything about the Lewis Dean story strikes me that this guy's going to be a future All Pro, and um, and I think he's going to fit well in the Minnesota Vikings. Call. They've got a nice culture there, and I think he's going to fit really well up there. I like him there. I like Quay Walker. Um, you know, Quay's one of those guys with some ceiling. I mean, look, Nicobe is the most accomplished guy. There's no doubt he was the most accomplished. But as you pointed out, it's not just about what you accomplished in college, right? It's, there's a little bit about what you're ceiling. And you see a guy that's six foot four, two 241 and runs as fast as Nick Chubb and DeAndre Baker in the 40. Give me some of that. And that's Quay Walker. So you see some of these guys that I think are on the verge of, of popping. Um, of standing out. I'm a little disappointed. Now, George Pickens, I kind of have an A and B here. On the one hand, I like that he's playing for Mike Tomlin. I could see it at Pro Day. Mike Tomlin was there, really eyeing him up. I, I said he was going to get picked in the second round if he was there by the Steelers. He did. But I saw Tomlin talking to Pickens' parents. That was kind of a tell for me. And I watched how he watched George. One of those, get someone who looks at you like that. I think you've even hit me with that a couple times on Twitter, Brent. Uh-huh. But he, Tomlin had that look in his eye at Pickens. But here's the thing I don't like. He's not going to have anybody to throw to him. If Pickens goes to the Packers, uh, Aaron Rodgers makes him rookie of the year. But Mitch Trubisky and Kenny Pickett, I'm just not convinced that that is going to be the best fit for George Pickens um, as a rookie. Yeah, I sort of think – I get what you're saying about the, uh, the lack of quarterback there, but I do think that of the specific fits, Pickens and Pittsburgh is one of the ones I probably like as much as anything, because I think that Steelers fans are going to respond well to the way in which Pickens plays the game. That's obviously a tough, hard-nosed town. You know, Pickens, who's not what I think of as a prima donna wide receiver, that's a guy who kind of plays with a little bit of an edge to him. If I had to guess, I think that Steelers fans are going to really enjoy Pickens playing personality. I think he's a good fit for what I think of as the city there in, uh, in Western PA. No, I'm with you on that, no doubt. I mean, I did a radio interview, and I mean, my goodness, you, you would have thought we were talking about Jake Fromm and Justin Fields on Twitter the way it blew up. I mean, the, the fans are so into George, and, you know, they're worried about his character. And I, you know, I mean, look, he did some silly things, okay? You know, squirting somebody with a water bottle and, 
you know, getting into a fist, fist of cups after some guy punched him in the jaw. Okay, that, those were immature things. But, you know, it's not like George was getting in trouble, trouble. And, and that's not who he is. I mean, we saw the interviews with him. Um, you know, we, we've got it on Dog Nation. We streamed it live on Dog Nation. You, you want to know who George Pickens is? Watch his combined video on our Dog Nation YouTube channel. I mean, this is, this is an articulate, bright kid. He just, he just has this unbridled enthusiasm that at times, you know, you got to calm him down. But, but it also works for him. Remember Eric Stokes telling us, BA, about how crazy he was in practice, trying to play this guy in practice? Like, he never, it's like, dude, this is a practice. He's the anti Allen Iverson, right? I mean, he's always going 100. And, and I think to your point, I think that does excite the Steeler fans. I just really hope that they can get him the ball, that they can find somebody that can put it on him. Because we've seen how dynamic he can be, whether it was with Jake Fromm catching 11 passes in one half against Baylor or the finish to the 2020 season with JT. You know, last year was kind of tough. He was injured, so we don't really know. But we've seen how dynamic this guy can be um, when he's 100%, you know, and, and he's getting some balls put on him. I want to talk to you a little bit about expectations for Georgia for the upcoming season. You're on the Fine Bomb Show this week, and listen, I've been on that show before. You know how it is when somebody kind of pulls out something you say and kind of get blasted out, and you're like, wait, did I really say that? You know, so I'm not so much worried about the specific text of whatever was discussed, but I do think setting proper expectations is an important conversation for people like us to have going into a season like this. I just think it sort of frames the year very well. And, you know, Mike, I do think that Georgia in 2022 should be shooting for more than just winning the SEC East. And listen, maybe Georgia doesn't get there. I mean, obviously, the thing about expectations is sometimes you don't meet them. But to say the SEC East alone would represent success for UGA, I don't believe that's true in most years. I especially don't believe that's true this particular year, regardless of the fact that Georgia just lost a lot of talent off its team. What would you say in response to that? Yeah, I mean, I, I get it. And, and you're, you're referring to, you know, the, a, a snippet of me saying it would be miraculous. But I was saying that in the context of the reload that Kirby Smart has on his hands. Um, you know, I, I, there's never been a team ever in history that's lost 15 NFL draft picks in one year. And if we're being honest about it, it's really almost like 16 because Adam Anderson was a first round pick. And, um, and he played two-thirds of the season, um, including the Florida game. He was very instrumental in some of those early games. So, And then you add to it, B.A., you add to it that other teams that lost all that, they didn't have to deal with transfer portal losses either. I mean, Jalen Kimber is a guy that I think would have started opposite Keely Ringo. Um, Jermaine Burton, you know, he would have been one of the top two or three receivers, if not the top. So, you know, you lose two. J.T. Daniels, I don't know if he starts or if he doesn't start. Let's not have that discussion. But at the very least, you have two starting quarterbacks or two guys with experience if one goes down and which one has the last two years. And you've had another guy there. You don't have that backup. So it's not just losing 15 guys, you know, experienced in mere speed, uh, Justin Robinson. You know, these, this is valuable depth. These are key pieces. It's, you know, listen to the Alabama fans, you know, whine all off season about not having good depth. You've lost some pieces because of the portal. In addition to, 16 NFL players if we're going to, you know, count the loss of Adam Anderson. So that's an unprecedented toll. Now, Georgia has ex- recruited extremely well. We know the names of the backups, many of them with five stars behind their name in recruiting, but they haven't done it yet at that level. And meanwhile, the rest of the East is better, I believe, right? Will Levis is being talked about as a top 15 draft pick quarterback. Hendon Hooker led the SEC last season in pass efficiency in his first year in Josh Heupel's offense, and they just landed another transfer in Brew McCoy. Uh, you know, in South Carolina, I don't know if Spencer Radler pan out, but I know that a year ago he was the highest trophy favorite. So I think the East teams are going to be a little bit better, and I do think it's inevitable when you lose five first-round picks that you're going to drop off. And I would just I would just reflect back on last year, I, I, Alabama-Florida. Dan Mullen's been fired, but he darn near beat Alabama what, in September, right? So all I'm saying is if Georgia does, and I and I do pick them to win the East, to be clear, but let's say, let's call it what it is. It is miraculous that Kirby Smart can recruit and develop that fast that he could have, I, it's, you've got to call this the biggest rebuilding job in, in, college, in recent college football history because nobody else has lost as many players, that he could have the biggest rebuild in modern era college football history 
and go back to the SEC championship game in this day and age in the SEC with transfer portal. To me, that warrants a miraculous compliment, which is what I was trying to say. And I, I guess I didn't quite say it well enough. Well, like I said, the, the, the specific text of, of a tweet's not that interesting to me, but the conversation I do think it's worth having here. And what my response would be on this, Mike, is of the six national champions in the playoff era, four of them have returned to the playoff the following year. So from that standpoint, it's it has been more likely than not that champions go back to the playoff again next year which to me is what success would be for Georgia. You know, being back in that playoff discussion, having a chance to win the national championship again. I don't think, you know, you know, if Georgia falls short of the national championship, I'm not necessarily going to call the season a failure. But if Georgia's watching the playoff on TV, that to me feels like less than what Georgia should be doing. And as far as like the guys that Georgia has to replace, while 15 may be a modern record, the truth is, is all the national champions in recent memory have had five or six first round draft picks. So the 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 level of top end talent that Georgia's replacing isn't actually as all that different compared to Bama from the 2020 team or LSU from the 2019 team, which admittedly kind of fell off, or Clemson from the 2018 team, or you know Ohio State kind of before that. That that you know these national champions all have the same number of first round picks, and most of them find a way to get back to the playoff again the following year. Yeah, I kind of throw Clemson out because they're in the ACC and their path is a little bit easier. But to your point, Alabama has done it successfully. LSU, not so much. You know, five and five and six and seven and seven guys picked. They still had talent, too. Um, I just don't think it's quite as automatic as people want to make it. Um, and, and I could be wrong. Maybe maybe Georgia will waltz through the SEC East as dominant as ever. Um, you know, but last year they had a benefit of a defense that was only giving up 6.9 points per game through the regular season. That, as good as anybody's been since 1986, Oklahoma, Brandon. So I don't think the offense has the benefit of two or three quarters to get warmed up. And I don't think it's going to have the same benefit of the field position, not just because um, the dominant defense is gone, but uh, also I, I feel like that Jake Camarda is, is going to be a guy, you know, and maybe, maybe the Australian comes in and picks up where Jake left off. But, you know, you're, you're talking about one of the premium kickoff guys. I think only 15% of his kicks were even returned. And one of the premium punt guys who would regularly flip field position you just got to shrug it off. Yeah, you punt from your own 20. The other team starts from their own 20. We just shrug. Well, normally the other team's starting from the 45 or 50. So I, I think there's some, some hidden yardage that's missing. And I think that defense, that dominant defense, with the way they were able to force three and outs, think about the Florida game. We're all sitting there. It's three to zero with three minutes left in the first half against Florida. And what happens? The dominant defense strikes, right? Is that going to be there this year? There are still some great players but not the depth and not the experience that we saw last year. So that's my only point. Sure. Again, I think Georgia will play in the SEC championship game, but, I, but I, I'm going to give Kirby Smart full credit if that happens. I'm not just going to say he's supposed to win because he's now not just dealing with the number of record draft picks. He's also dealing with the transfer portal, and that's something that a lot of these other teams – didn't have to deal with the proliferation of transfers. I mean, Georgia lost eight guys that'd be playing football for them next year. Eight. And, and two or three of them were starters on top of the 15 or 16 NFL prototype players. Now, the good news, even though there's no transfers coming in this year, is he kind of got, uh, he kind of got a, a delayed impact, right? Tyke Smith, who we thought was going to be an impact player last year. This year, he will be the West Virginia. Eric Gilbert, who we thought could be an impact player. This year, he will be. So. You know, the, the transfer portal taketh, but it kind of gives back with Tyke and Eric. Now, one thing we haven't talked about, and I guess we just all assume it'll all work out great, is Georgia lost 40% of their coaching staff. We have to see how Stacy Searles does. We think he's going to do fine. He's been here a couple times before, right? We have to see how uh, the new defensive, how Glenn Schumann and Will Muschamp call the defense uh, with Dan Lanning moving on. Right, and we have to see how the new DB coach from Rutgers works out. We have to see uh, how BMAC works out. There's a lot of new. Forty percent of your staff is gone. Think about it. Half of your team is gone. Half of your starters, and almost half of your coaching staff. I just can't rubber stamp the return. And if they make the return, then I'm going to give them full credit. Mike, interesting stuff. Thanks for being here on the program today. We'll look forward to getting a chance to uh, chat with you soon. Obviously, you've had a lot of very interesting uh, takes post-NFL draft, and we'll uh, continue to read those there as well. Uh, thanks for being on hand, and we'll uh, talk soon here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Breda Pest Management.
Have a miraculous day, PA. <laughs> Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. So in the notion of miraculous, which is the word that I guess Mike used on uh, TV that got some attention, I joked with him on the phone this morning that in his version of the Bible, Jesus would use the loaves and fishes to feed five people. Uh, if, if you're defining miraculous as winning the SECs, because honestly, I, I do believe the expectations should be you know bigger than that for Georgia this season. Now, maybe they don't get there, but that's the starting expectations. That's kind of what they should be. And I thought that was a good conversation with Mike there about that. And ultimately, let me give you one more thought about this quickly, and then we'll move on and do something else. And you've heard me say this before. Over the course of like the last 15 years, there have been three teams in the SEC which won national championships that totally fell apart after that. LSU after 2019, Auburn after 2010, Florida after the 2008 national championship there as well. They came back, won the East again the following year, but were, you know, Myers out of a job uh, by the end of the 2010 season. He was moving on. Now, what do all three of those, I'm going to call them collapses, LSU and Auburn, certainly Florida for the most part, was a bit of a collapse there as well that's kind of lingered now for a good number of years. What do all three of those collapses have in common? These were all programs that were built around generational dynamic quarterbacks. Clearly, Auburn post Cam Newton was never the same again. LSU post Joe Burrow. And by the way, Joe Brady as his passing game coordinator for that year, never the same again there either. Remember, Florida post Tim Tebow really hasn't found that quarterback for the most part that matched what Tebow did for them. These were all programs that built national championships around that kind of singular figure, that quarterback. By comparison, and this is a compliment to Georgia. By comparison, Georgia is just a much more decentralized program. They're, you know, Georgia is not, its success was not built on any one player. Great on defense, but no one player was more responsible for that than the others. You know, Georgia scoring about 40 points per game offensively. Brock Bowers was the best player on that offense, but there was a lot going on for UGA on both sides of the ball. And that's why I think it's more likely that Georgia kind of puts itself in the category of, Teams like you know Clemson, Alabama, which found a way to be back in the playoff year after year, than a team like LSU, which was kind of one and done and never really heard from again because so much of the LSU success was built on the back of one player, Joe Burrow helping them get there. Georgia just doesn't have any one player who's that responsible for its success, and that's part of what made 2021 so special and part of what makes that success more easily replicated as you head towards 2022 there as well let's go cruise around the sec courtesy of royal caribbean and by the way don't forget about the really fun things going on at royal caribbean mike and i had a great time on our cruise last week for those of you who were on board with us on independence of the seas we appreciate that and it's a great reminder to you that now is a great time to kind of start planning your own royal caribbean cruise vacation this summer ships all over the place having a great time or as you head towards uh, 2023 there as well thinking about that too the point is the time to book right now get going here this summer and enjoy yourself it's a great family experience i know for me my wife and i we are just chomping the bit to get our kids on board a royal caribbean cruise they weren't able to go with us this past week but they are looking forward to being going on one soon one of the things we'll do a lot is like you're watching this video right now We'll sit around at home and watch a lot of these like Royal Caribbean videos of the cool stuff that you're doing at Perfect Day Coco Cay or the really fun stuff like the Flow Rider, which is kind of like the uh, wave simulator, surf simulator on the back of a lot of these ships, the uh, the various water slides on board. We'll watch a lot of these videos as a family and my kids just get so, I mean, you imagine being a young kid, you're seeing all these videos. You're just so excited about being on board one of these ships. So I think it's great whether you're you know a couple that just wants that getaway. My wife and I had one of those together in February. Or if your family looking forward to taking advantage of all the amenities on board or the great ports that Royal Caribbean visits, whatever your story is, there's a way for you to enjoy a Royal Caribbean cruise vacation. My friends at the Cruise and Vacation Authority can help get you booked up here. It's TCAVA.com. That's the website for the Cruise and Vacation Authority, TCAVA.com, or 770-952-8300, 770-952-8300. That is the phone number. All right, uh, I want to do kind of one story for the SEC through today, cruising around the SEC courtesy of Royal Caribbean. That's related to the NIL stuff. Tomorrow, we'll probably get more into like the Brew McCoy thing, things like that. He transferred to, to Tennessee. We'll, we'll do more of that tomorrow. But I want to focus on something that Ross Dellinger has written at Sports Illustrated here for a moment. So we told you there have been two very big stories involving NIL as of late, transfer portal as of late, that seem to have created what I kind of view as a little bit of a shift change. 
the language is just different than it was a couple of weeks ago. There is angst that didn't really exist a, a couple of weeks ago. Now, sometimes it's not always reflected on social media where a lot of folks just get their cheerleading outfit on their pom poms and they just root for every radical change they can they can you know find. But in in terms of like real people having a real conversation, there are some real concerns about the direction that college sports might be heading. Some of this is related to Miami. And, and actually, the most recent example has been basketball, where John Ruiz, a very outspoken booster, kind of bragged about a huge six figure NIL deal winning a transfer for the Miami basketball program. There were rumblings. And honestly, I don't know how true this even really was, but there were uh, rumblings. But a player on the roster hearing about this through his agent, which is just gross to a lot of people to think about a you know college athlete having an agent. Not everyone feels that way. Some do. But through his agent saying he wanted to renegotiate his uh, NIL deal because of what Ruiz had bragged about playing another uh, paying another player. And this kind of turned into like a weird kind of online squabble between player agent NIL booster. There's a degree to which that just feels like too uncharted of territory for certain people. And then there was the story, as we've been telling you about, about Jordan Addison, the pit wide receiver who did officially enter the transfer uh, portal yesterday after rumors had popped up a couple of days ago that he was going to transfer to USC this before he actually entered the portal. There had been talk of big NIL deal. Colin Cowherd reported it to be somewhere in the neighborhood of $3 million. I told you before, I don't really believe any of these really gigantic seven-figure numbers for the most part. I just think I think a lot of that gets exaggerated. Uh, but nonetheless, if it's not $3 million, it's probably still a, a very big figure of money. Uh, and so that's kind of created this thing of, well, do we want USC tampering with the Bolitnikoff winner off the pit roster? Do we want Miami Booster openly bragging about, you know, acquiring transfers because of NIL deals? Some people say they don't. So this is what Ross Dellinger has written in Sports Illustrated. The headline, Task Force to Big Money Boosters, NIL Sanctions Could Be Coming. And so what he basically, you know, goes on to write here, and this is a very deep, detailed story that's worth you reading. You can read for free at sportsillustrated.com, si.com. But basically, this is the attempt of the NCAA, I guess, to try to put the toothpaste back in the tube after things have gotten as wild as they've gotten. Uh, one official with knowledge of the guidelines that the uh, task force is going to suggest says, we've let things get out of hand. We have to get the boosters out of contacting recruits and bartering with them. Now, I don't know how you do that. I, re I really don't. And some people are going to say, well, it's not like it's not like boosters just started bartering with with uh, players in 2022. They've been doing that for decades. Look, maybe they have. I mean, obviously, everybody seems to think they know, you know, what's happened in the past and you know what's going on. Uh, and, you know, we're not naive around here either. But here's the point that whatever the under the table market used to be pretty clearly worked. It pretty clearly functioned um, logically. Right. I mean, that whatever's happening now, the response to all of that, I think, is what's so different. The fact that it's creating a level of hysteria now that didn't exist for whatever decades of Eric Dickerson getting trans ams or whatever else, Fred Taylor saying whatever it is that he said or all, all this other stuff that we can all tell the stories of what we've heard. And, you know, people love sitting around the campfire and talking about these kinds of things. But whatever that under the table thing was in the past, at least was orderly. Right. And it was at least one of those things that it could be kind of kept quiet. Honestly, it was way more dignified than whatever this garbage is right now, I would say. Now, I don't know how you go back and fix this after the fact. I really don't. But it's interesting to me that, according to Dellinger, who I respect as much as anybody, he says that that's what they're going to try to do here a little bit. I mean, it, it's it's a um, it's a very big story. It's a very detailed story. Uh, I'll read it a little bit more here. Uh, Dellinger writes that the real challenge of the NCAA is controlling an issue that is governed by laws in at least 30 states, potentially offering protection to boosters and collectives uh, in their involvement with recruiting. Uh, one more quote here. Uh, this is going back to Greg Sankey. Uh, he says, uh, in recruiting, we have inducements created, which uh, was a concern all along. This is going back to uh, earlier this spring. He says, you've seen the stories. I don't know how many have been actually verified. Now people have time and creativity and motivation to fully explore NIL. And it's very uncomfortable in college athletics. But as long as it's uh, uh, it's compliant with state law, it seems those activities can take place. So, I mean, even a key decision maker like Sankey seems to be somewhat perplexed about what to do next. 
But here's the one thing I'll say is that we are not powerless by we. I mean, those of us who care about college football, I'm not a decision maker, but I'm obviously a little bit of a stakeholder in all this. I care about this the same way that you do. Those of us who do care about college sports, we are not powerless to do something about this. We are not powerless to shape the world as we like for it to be. And it is not old man sitting on the porch yelling in a cloud to say, hey, what has happened with you know, a guy like Addison being pried off a roster or what has happened with Miami with, you know, John Ruiz openly bragging about, you know, the 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 level of anarchy he's helped create. Um, you know, it, it's not old man on the porch to say, boy, this is not really quite what college sports has been for decades and decades, you know, more than a century. It's made it so popular. I'm not talking about paying players. Actually, I don't really care that much about paying players. But what I do dislike is. The fact that the booster like Ruiz at Miami or whoever it is, you know, behind the scenes here at USC. I don't like the idea that we're empowering them to such a great degree in college sports right now, you know, adding them as a figure that's almost as important as 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 the coach, the the, the conference administrator. That all of a sudden now we're saying, hey, you know, key booster is just as powerful in the grand scheme of things as, as these other guys would be. Uh, you've heard me say this before, but whoever pays the employees owns the company look at your paycheck uh the guy who signs that paycheck the person who signs that paycheck that's your boss uh are we really ready to empower a lot of these you know sort of i would say somewhat shady somewhat shadowy boosters to be the boss over college sports and you can say well that's the way that it's always been i don't know i don't know that's you know quite as to uh to, to quite as uh such a degree here what seems to be happening right now is clearly a little bit more chaotic than whatever's happened in the past you know you can have your issues with the previous issue you know uh, era of college football under the table whatever else but at the very least that was orderly what we have now certainly seems to be a level of disorder that some people are suggesting that they are unhappy with so interesting stuff from ross dellinger there at sports illustrated will make that cruising around the sec courtesy of royal caribbean and i'm gonna have some fun with georgia football here in a moment a georgia assistant coach has a reason to brag we'll get to that here in just a bit before that though a lot of you know as we head towards mother's day on sunday and by the way mother's day is sunday so make sure you get your plans ready to go on that but we are also honoring and celebrating our championship moms courtesy of kroger here over the course of the next few days i love telling you these stories we told a great story yesterday I want to tell another great story here today uh really uh, uh great to honor our championship mom for today her name is jennifer yarborough and the email goes like this i'd like to thank you for what you're doing by giving us an opportunity to celebrate our wives as the wonderful mothers they are he goes on to tell us jennifer's story here i've been married for 15 years got four children i get up every morning at 3 50 a.m to go to work it's super early wow other than for two weeks when each child was born, she has made sure to be up with me at 3.50 to make my lunch and my breakfast, as well as get back up with the kids to make their breakfast a couple of hours later. After making their breakfast, then she switches hats and becomes their teacher. We homeschool. Every Wednesday, Sunday, and one Friday every month, she works at our church as the preschool director. She carries our kids with her to church every single time and teaches them how to uh, serve behind the scenes. Uh, she's pretty much the mother to every kid at our church and in some ways our community. There are not many places we can go locally where someone's child doesn't run up to her and give her a big hug and a kiss. And then she comes home, makes supper for everyone while using vegetables that she's growing in our garden. That's an amazing. Uh, that's like a superwoman uh, with our children that, that she's also can there as well. She coordinates opportunities for our family to serve in the community. Uh, she keeps the house and all of our clothes clean. I could go on, but I'll stop there. She says, the Lord's blessed us, this family, with the greatest mother ever. Jennifer Yarbrough certainly sounds like that. How about that great photo of a good-looking dog family right there? And I'm telling you right now, I love this time of year. I love celebrating these championship moms because here's what we know. Like behind Georgia football, the thing we all love and care about, man, there are a lot of very happy families who – uh use this as one of their great sources of entertainment things like that and you know we are big believers in all that here crower loves celebrating these championship moms so please make sure you check out uh your local kroger to get ready for mother's day kroger.com slash mother's day is a place you can go to kind of you know learn about all the great things that kroger's got for your flowers your gift cards your you know whatever else the stuff you need for a great meal if you're going to cook that this weekend but it's especially just kind of fun here to celebrate these championship moms to give them a great collection of gift cards uh well earned of course and a a great package of prizes here. We're going to keep doing this all week long. It is just really fun to be celebrating these championship moms, courtesy of Kroger. So thank you to Kroger for allowing us to do that and allowing us to tell these stories 
uh, here on the show. And congratulations to Jennifer Yarbrough for being our winner here today. That is really, really awesome. Something else that's really awesome. Uh, a lot of the Georgia assistant coaches have had reason to brag post NFL draft. Maybe none more so than Todd Hartley, who's on quite a run as of late. Hartley, as he should, taking a bow on social media lately. Let me show you what Todd uh, put out on Twitter here post NFL draft. I actually didn't know this. Uh, he says that uh, John Fitzpatrick getting drafted by the Falcons means a tight end's been drafted from the University of Georgia for the fourth consecutive draft. He says the first time in school history. Also, it's the only school in the country that can say that a tight end draft in each of the last four drafts. He says tight end tough. Uh, <laughs> I like that. That's kind of a cool uh, statement all the way around. And obviously what makes that fun for Hartley is, is that you assume that the best is yet to come for Georgia at that position, that that Georgia is really redefining itself in many ways as a program for tight ends, guys that it's put in the National Football League, Fitzpatrick included. We had John Fitzpatrick on the show last week. So much fun to hear about his preparation of the NFL draft. And I did have a little bit of a chance to interact with John after being drafted by the Falcons. He was over the moon about being taken by his hometown team. Because remember this, John not only played at Georgia High School there at Marist, that's an Atlanta family through and through. And Justin Schaefer, much the same way, when you go to Atlanta area high school, when you play at the University of Georgia, you get picked up by the Atlanta Falcons to think that you could play your entire football career in the entire state. You know, we'll see what happens, you know, years from now. But but up to this point in time, like that's really cool. And the Fitzpatrick's are thrilled about, you know, John being there with the, with, with Atlanta. And obviously, uh, Todd Hartley thrilled about the fact that his guys are having so much success. And when you listen to John on our show last week, you know, when John looks at the talent that's still there at that tight end room after he moves on, it's pretty clear that he thinks the the best is still yet to come. I loved John Fitzpatrick talking about the talent that Hartley has collected there at UGA and the way in which Todd gets the most out of those guys. This was really good from John Fitzpatrick last week. Take a listen to this. It's incredible seeing the talent in that room. Um, you know, there's five guys, six guys deep um, that, that all play and all can play. And uh, I think it's hats off to Coach Hartley and Coach Smart, the way they recruit, the way they, you know, bust their tails, um, you know, flying all over the country, getting these top guys. Um, and, you know, it's paying dividends, obviously. But, uh, no, it's special. And it's pretty cool because there's so many different personalities, so many different talents. And Coach Hartley finds a way to make sure that um, we all complement each other. We can all um, play on the field at the same time and uh, use our different skill sets to find success. So I think there's something really neat about, the success that Harley's enjoying because the position that he recruits is somewhat unique in that, you know, George's going to recruit a gazillion defensive backs each and every year, you know, other positions, linebacker, offensive line, kind of the same thing. You're just collecting multiple guys at each position. For the most part though, George is going to be going after like one or two tight ends only in most years. You just don't recruit a lot of guys at that position. So Hartley's shooting for the top of the food chain, the very best players available. He's winning with a lot of those guys. But also he is taking what I think what at one point in time in football been kind of viewed as a little bit of a nondescript position. And I mean, he's kind of turned tight end into a little bit of a glamour role there at UGA. I mean, think about a Reed Gilbert here, who when he came to Georgia as a transfer, kind of wanted to be a wide receiver, but now is kind of thought of as a tight end again. You don't hear any complaining about that because all of a sudden tight ends kind of the cool position in Georgia for a guy like Darnell Washington as well. Brock Bowers obviously helped redefine that Oscar Delp there too, that that Hartley has not only had great recruiting success, development success, as as Fitzpatrick just talked about, but also kind of redefining what it even means to be a tight end. All of a sudden, this isn't just the kind of player stuck between an offensive lineman and a wide receiver. Suddenly, it's kind of its own special category. And I, I don't know. I think it's really fun how Hartley's kind of redefining what it means to be a tight end. And it's been great to watch the way that UGA fans have responded to all that because it's pretty obvious most Georgia fans want as many tight ends on the field on each play as they can possibly get because they know how much that how much success that means to the dog. So I think it's really cool to see. Nice to have John Fit, uh, John Fitzpatrick on our show last week before he got drafted. And uh, great to hear him say those nice things about Todd Hartley and really fun to think about where the draft success for UGA tight ends goes from here because pretty clearly the best appears to be still yet to come. So I told you earlier, our golden shoe today has a little bit of a debate baked into it. Uh, today's May the 4th. It's Star Wars Day. I do love Star Wars, so I love celebrating this. May the 4th be with you always. Our buddy Mad Dog shares a uh, great graphic here in honor of all of that. Uh, the May the 4th Star Wars graphic, but it's Kirby Smart here, kind of the Anakin Skywalker, Luke's, uh, you know, Darth Vader type deal. 
uh, holding the uh, the Georgia football helmet. I, it's a great edit. Uh, Mad Dog's great at this, and it's perfect for today. But a couple of folks that responded to him on Twitter were like, or at least one person was like, I'm not quite so sure I like the idea of Georgia's the evil empire. See, I do kind of like that a little bit. Because, listen, you watch all the Star Wars movies. There have been a lot of them now. The good guys are always changing, but for the most part, the bad guys kind of stay the same, at least generally speaking. I like the idea of that kind of staying power. I could also stand to watch a Star Wars trilogy told from the perspective of the Empire because I feel like they probably have a side of their story that hasn't been told. Plus, I think you can probably debate about, you know, how much Georgia really is kind of an evil empire right now in college football, given the fact that Georgia's not really leveraging things like name, image, likeness, and transfer portal as much as some other folks are. Either way, it's kind of a fun debate, but a great edit. Uh, certainly a, a great May the 4th style edit there, so we'll give a golden shoe to Mad Dog. And, by the way, lousy, stinking gators. Uh, how about 4,864 days since they have won a national championship in the world of Star Wars? Florida will always be the Jar Jar Binks. A uh, long title drop for them. And of course, Gator Hater Countdown, Georgia beating them again, 178 days from right now. That is our Gator Hater Countdown. We will see you tomorrow, Dog Nation Daily, presented by Breda Pest Management. And on the podcast, I'm now of the R.S. Andrews podcast, Cool Down. Of course, we appreciate R.S. Andrews being such a longtime supporter of ours here and allowing us to have this time to chat together. You can find R.S. Andrews online at rsandrews.com for your air conditioning, heating, plumbing, electric needs, obviously air conditioning issues taking the forefront right now. If you are concerned about your unit, someone's told you that it's the end of its shelf life, we'll get some new life breathed into it. Get it tuned back up to factory fresh specs. It costs just $99, and it's available for you at rsandrews.com. All right, Candler Park weighs in the Dog Nation comments section on a topic from yesterday, really the last couple of days, involving former pit wide receiver, soon-to-be former pit wide receiver Jordan Addison. He says, regarding Jordan Addison, what addition this guy to be for Jordan? Talk about stretching the field. I could see him being attracted by the bright lights of L.A. and the high-flying offense of Lincoln Riley, but also could be a risky move by an established receiver nobody really knows whether usc will be able to put together the pieces so quickly i think that's a very good point that uh while there's a lot of flash around lincoln riley in los angeles and caleb williams a quarterback that's still a team that had a losing record a year ago it says uh candler park says seems like an outside chance that he'd choose georgia but there's an argument to be made in a stable situation pieces in place and there's a need for wide out and he'd be developing on one of the best offensive minds in the business in todd monken yeah, I mean, clearly, I think there's an argument to be made for Georgia here. I just don't know that Georgia is going to get a chance to do that. You really haven't heard much chatter connecting, um, you know, Addison and Georgia right now. Plus, I think what you see right now going on is, to be completely candid, a little bit of a laundering of opinion here. In other words, now there are a lot of published reports who are kind of acting like, well, Addison's going to make up his mind about where he wants to go. Whereas, he was connected for USC, connected to USC a couple of days ago at a time in which it was surprising that he was even transferring at all, that that it seems like Addison is only transferring because he got some sort of offer from USC. Now, I think the offer itself has been exaggerated. I've told you that plenty, but um, but but it seems like Addison is only looking to transfer because of whatever overtures someone from USC made to him. I don't think he's actually going to deliberate about where to go to. I think he's only transferring because USC tampered with him. I, I just think that's what it is. I do think it's really interesting, though, how many willing accomplices of USC there are in the media, folks who've uh, gotten close to that program, gotten close to Lincoln Riley, who are more than happy to allow you know a little bit of a backtracking here of – you know, uh, who knows where he may go? He's going to go through his process and try to figure all that out. I think pretty clearly, much the same way that Miami knew that John Ruiz made a mistake when he bragged about using NIL to acquire the basketball transfer. I think pretty clearly USC, even in this kind of lawless, anarchy, no rules era of NIL transfer college football, I think pretty clearly they knew that, whoops, we potentially made a little bit of a mistake here. And so now they've kind of used some of their, you know, intermediary willing accomplices in the media to make it seem like we don't know where Addison's going to go when ultimately it seems fairly obvious that he's only transferring because USC reached out to him. But we'll see. We'll see how that goes. 
Street0123 uh, says, if you go back and look at some of the way too early 2022 draft projections, he means from a year ago, you only see four UGA players mentioned as first-round prospects from Bleacher Report. In uh, BC Sports, Sports Illustrated, USA Today, he says JT Daniels was mentioned by two of those. Uh, Scene was mentioned by a couple, and uh, uh, George Pickens uh, as well. He says the other UGA player mentioned was Adam Anderson, now by Sports Illustrated. Now there are four UGA players being mentioned as potential first-round draft prospects for 2023, including uh, Carter and Ringo and Nolan Smith and uh, Christopher Smith. Um, Yeah, it goes to the point, Street, that I've talked about before, which is that the early projections for Georgia for the upcoming season, for the current Georgia players and the 2023 NFL draft, the conversation right now is really not in any way different than it was a year ago. Georgia won the national championship, had a historic defense, but it's not as if that's what they were projected to be this time of year ago. They were thought to be really good, a national contender, but it's not like anyone was saying, oh, this is going to be the most you know prolific draft class of all time. You know, five guys off one defense draft in the first round. That's not what the conversation was. So while it is unlikely that Georgia completely replicates all of its 2021 success in 2022, it's also not impossible either just given how much the projections right now mirror the ones that existed last season. I think that's a very fair point. Great conversation. Thanks for being here for our podcast cooldown. We'll see you tomorrow presented by R.S. Andrews for this portion of the show. And of course, Dog Nation Daily presented by Breda Pest Management before that. Hope you all have a great day, everybody.